We have a, a guest uh, song sing, singer and storyteller par excellence who is here today, um, Julia Grace. So can we welcome her this morning? It's just fantastic to have her again. She's a real friend of the house here. And you are going to be mightily blessed. And Julia has just a, an amazing ability as a singer, but an ama amazing ability to share her story um, in, in creative ways as well. So I know you're going to be incredibly blessed. Thanks for coming again, Julia. It's wonderful having you. Good morning. How are we all? I feel like I'm on the stage with famous people. I didn't realize you had the lead singer of Midnight Oil <laughs> and the, um, the mayor of Invercargill in your worship team. So <laughs> who, who gets that? Yeah, 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 yeah. Hey, yeah, yeah. I'm sure I'm not the first person to come up with that one. So. It's such a pleasure to be here this morning. It was lovely to come. And thank you so much, John and Sandra, for having us. Um, back in the, this is kind of like our South Island home, it actually is, because my husband Michael, this was his home, I stole him, I'm sorry, um, I'm not sorry, but anyway, I, I sort of bring him back occasionally to let you um, just sort of pre pretend, thank you, you're welcome, so but it's lovely, but I did come in and I was like, Sandra, we have the same colour hair, we are matching, vibing, I have gone back um, to my original hair colour, so after 12 years of dyeing it with cheap $16 dye from the supermarket, I went to the, to the hairdresser, because I'm actually a natural blonde, and the hairdresser, she just kind of started playing with it, and she's like, oh, and she was looking at it, oh, you know, they do that face, and I was like, oh, no, I don't really want to dye it, she's like, oh, no, no, and then she started just to fiddle, and in the end I said, shall I just let you do what you want, she's like, yeah, <laughs> so next minute, I'm a blonde, so it's lovely actually to be back into my roots, Michael thinks he's married another woman. Um, hey, babe. <laughs> He's quite happy about that. Oh, dear. So I'm going to share some songs this morning, and um, well, it sounds nice and Christian, doesn't it? Share. We like to put Christian words on. If I'm out there, I'm singing. I'm in here. I'm sharing. Hallelujah. <laughs> out there, I'm speaking. You know, come in here. I'm ministering. Out there, I'm ranting and raving. Come in here. I'm preaching. In here, I'm prophesying. Out there, I'm just guessing. <laughs> Too soon? Yeah, just kidding. <laughs> All right. <laughs> For me, my journey has been, you know, an up and down one. I want to share a little bit about that today and some of the stuff that we've been dealing with. But one of the absolute pillars of my life has been an understanding that God's faithfulness has run a thread through my story. And, you know, sometimes in life we're dealing with stuff and we are just looking at it going, I don't know how you're going to sort this one out. You know, you're talking to God, I don't know if it's just me, talking to God going, seriously, I think you've lost the plot at this point. You know, you were doing quite well up until now, and now things are really falling apart. But sometimes the only indicator of future behavior is past behavior. When you meet someone, sometimes the only way you can tell, you, you don't know what they're going to be like. So you look at their history, and you kind of go, what have you been like up until now? And for me, God up until now has remained faithful. He's never failed me yet. And so therefore, 
I choose to believe that he is not going to fail me in whatever situation I've come into now. So um, this is an old chorus from my childhood, and it says, Never failed me yet, this one thing I know, that wherever I may go, Jesus' love has never failed me yet. And so I have written my own verses and um, my own story and song around this one, so you might remember this one. Electric piano, sorry, that was the 80s. We're just going to come back to the 2019s. There we go. <laughs> More people got saved in the 80s to this sound than any other sound before. That's just my little um, advertisement. Did you know more people came to the Lord through the Roland RD700 SX than any other keyboard? I'm not being sponsored by them, but I should be. All right, anyway. <laughs> Sometimes my soul is so weary And my trouble is all I can see But I still lift my eyes to my Savior Cause I know He
Thank you. It's always that awkward moment in church. It's like, do we clap? Do we not? Was it for Jesus? Was it for us? I don't know. But it was just, it, what it does is it simply um, shows that I've finished my song and I'm going to move on. So thank you for that. I appreciate it. <laughs> Depends where we go. So we go to a lot of different flavors of churches. You guys are Baptist, right? You're kind of undercover Baptist, though, eh? Yeah, no, it's good. But, um, <laughs> no, because we were in last week, one, and <clears throat> I would put it this way, I would not be speaking this morning at that one, but um, not because I didn't want to, just because I wasn't allowed, but uh, <clears throat> anyway, I, um, so yeah, lots of different churches, and so the good thing is some churches don't clap at all, so it's a bit awkward, you go to Pentecostal churches, they, you know, they haven't stopped, so they just keep clapping, and <laughs> works well for me, but you know, it's a pleasure, so Life, you know, is interesting and unexpected, and some of us go through different seasons in our life. Now, the interesting thing I love being in Christchurch is because we get lots of seasons. Yesterday it was summer, and today it's winter. <laughs> 30 degrees and now 14 degrees. I'm like, wow, this is, this is awesome. Um, but, you know, we go through different seasons of our life, and sometimes we can end up in what feels like a winter season. Now, I love winter in, in many ways. We go skiing and do all sorts of wonderful things. But it can be a cold and sometimes a vulnerable time to, to be in the middle of that season. Winter is tough because you don't see a lot of growth. Sometimes you don't see a lot of stuff happening. You think, oh, I'm, I'm kind of stagnant. I'm, I'm a bit stuck. Nothing's going on on the surface. But your roots are continuing to grow underneath. And I know for me, going through um, a season of time of that winter period... I spent a lot of time just having to hold on by what felt like my fingernails to the hope that God would do something better in my life. And so I know many of you today, you'll be going through different seasons. Some of you will be feeling great and everything's going well. And some of you will be feeling a bit kind of winter. And some of you will be stuck in a period of time where you're thinking, how long is this going to go on for? And I want to encourage you, I don't know how long the season lasts, but I do know one thing, seasons do change. They cycle around. After one comes another. And we look at each other's lives and we can see those seasons change. So I've actually got a new song. Is it okay if I do a new song? I've got two new songs. Some of you are looking at me a bit like, oh, don't experiment on us. But, you know, I think you'll enjoy it. Um, but this song talks about the fact that, you know, that sometimes we feel like the grave is trying to hold us in. But we need to hang on because we don't need to worry. It won't be all that long in sun, summer is going to come for us again. So if you're in your winter time today, this one's for you. Well, it's been winter for so long. Your dreams are dead and buried and your lips have lost their song. Darkness has descended. The veil of your soul feels torn. Your hope has slipped away. Your heart is deeply damaged and your life's been chipped away. But somewhere in the silence, the strength remains to see new dawn. Summer's coming Won't be 
tempted to let go to see the chaos around you and to bow out of the show nothing has prepared you for the dark night of your soul Well, I wrote a song. It's and initially it started being kind of written to God, and then it kind of morphed into being written to my husband. Um, he looks a little bit like Jesus, so that kind of helps um, when he takes his hair out. You know, sometimes in the middle of the night, if I see him walking around, I'm like, "Oh, is that you, Lord?" Though, but it's not. Um, <laughs> I'm so spiritual. Um, we have this habit, particularly as Kiwis and um, New Zealanders, of hiding our feelings. We kind of push them down and we, um, you know, I was brought up very British and a little bit hardcore and very much kind of this thing of you, you know, you keep calm and carry on, stiff up a lip. And I find it actually very difficult to express my emotions. I can tell you all day what I think. <laughs> I find it very hard to tell you what I feel. And so I think sometimes, you know, particularly as Christians and particularly as, as Kiwis, we tend to have this thing of hiding things away. And we don't want to upset people and we don't want to let them down and we don't want to look bad. And, we, and, and I look back at that and I think, you know, why do we keep hiding from those who love us? 
Why do we hide away from God? Why do we try, oh, no, I'm fine, I'm fine, it's fine, I'm fine. You know, he's up there going, I can see you. (laughs) I know what's going on. I'm not stupid. I know what's going on in your world. And those that we love, you know, sometimes we, we run and hide. And yet those we love would love to be there for us and to wrap their arms around us. So this is, this is about the concept that we can allow one another, particularly when it comes to our emotions and our mental wellness, to hide within one another. Finding someone you trust and saying, I'm going to hide in you and I'm going to allow you to hide your emotions in me. And we're going to build up some trust between you. So whether that's to your Heavenly Father, whether it's to someone that you know or love today, um, it's kind of a bit of an honest one about me and why I... Why can't I find those ways to let it out? Why am I trying to hide my thoughts from you who knows my mind and understands me on my darkest day? Why am I trying to run from you who points me to the sun and shows the stars to light me on my way? Why am I afraid to say the words I need to say? Why is it so difficult to give the game away? Do I run and hide and hold my feelings deep inside When you have never tried to turn your face Why am I frightened of the thought that you'd withdraw your love When all around I see unending grace Why am I afraid to say the words I need to say Why is it so difficult to give the game away? You will love, love is all that I will ever need. I will hide in you, my love, and you will hide in me. Softly
Cool. What do you think? Mark out of 10? No, don't. No, don't. I'm, <laughs> I'm an artist with a fragile ego. I don't need to know. Unless you're going to say 10, in which case I feel absolutely free. No, I'm kidding. Um, it is so lovely to be able to share a little bit of my heart today. So I want to talk to you a little bit about my journey, as I said, and kind of follow on from those songs For those who know me um, and who know us, our story has been an interesting one, and I've dealt with some things in the last few years of my life that have been really kind of unexpected. Life has a way of being unexpected to us, doesn't it? You know, stuff happens. Stuff happens to us all. The other day, I, um, so I'm from West Auckland, and we do things differently in West Auckland. Um, I've got a a 19, nearly 20-year-old daughter, and I wrote off her car. I know, it's not the way things are supposed to be. You're supposed to, your kids are supposed to ride off your car, aren't they? You know, so I thought, well, you know, we're, this is how we roll. So I went into West Auckland and I went into the panel beater and he gave me a loan car um, to borrow. And he started to explain to me, um, you know, how to, and he said, look, here's the car. Um, drive carefully, don't run into any parked trucks. <laughs> As if I would. <laughs> I'd just done that previously the week before. But anyway, um, he said to me, now, this car is different. It doesn't have a handbrake. It has a foot brake. Okay, so you're familiar with the concept. So he said, when you need to put the handbrake on, don't forget, put the foot brake on. So I was like, and then he started to sort of explain and go, yeah, and I'm not really a details girl. I'm more of a big picture kind of a girl. So I sort of switched off at around about that point. Because, I mean, how hard can it be, you know? And um, so I pulled up to the first intersection, And I stopped and I looked across. It was on a hill, which is important to the story. And so I I pulled up to this intersection. I looked across at the girl next to me. I kind of smiled at her and she smiled at me. And at this point, my conscious and my subconscious brain started to have a little tussle. So my conscious brain was going, foot brake, foot brake, foot brake. And that's cool. Um, So I put my foot on the foot brake, which was great. But unfortunately, my subconscious brain has spent many years putting on the handbrake. And it sort of wanted something to do. My hand's like, what do I do? What do I do? I'm on a hill. I need to do something. So just subconsciously, without even thinking, I just put my hand down there. And someone, in all their wisdom, had designed this car so that where the handbrake would normally be was a little handle that makes the seat lie down. (laughs) I know. So I'm smiling away, foot brake goes on, hand needs something to do, you know. And as the Bible says, whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all its might. So I pulled on that thing and grrr, <laughs> I lay down. Now the girl at this point next to me is looking rather startled. I assume she thought I'd been raptured because I'm so spiritual. And um, so she, but the problem is, is what goes down must come up. So once I'm down, I had to find a way to get back up again. So I had to kind of pull up. And so I came up slowly. I was like, oh. <laughs> Life is unexpected. Stuff happens to us. I was brought up in a very um, structured, beautiful Christian home. I felt pretty sure that I'd put all my insurances of good behavior in place so that bad things wouldn't happen to me. But unfortunately, life's not like that. And stuff has happened to me. I've dealt with, um, I've been divorced from <laughs> Um, I've, I've dealt with depression, I've dealt with anxiety, I've dealt with panic attacks, I've dealt with a whole lot of mental wellness issues that I was deeply convinced everyone was just making up. <laughs> and it's been a humbling experience. 
as I've gone through things that I hadn't really anticipated at the time. I say my life has been like a long series of getting knocked off my high horse and getting back on progressively smaller horses. <laughs> and right now, I'm saddling up a chihuahua. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm up here, but I know, I get it. I get it that life has not been kind of what I expected. So I wanted to talk to you today just a little bit about mental wellness and one of the amazing tools in the toolbox that I have found pivotal to my mental wellness. It's been so great. Before I do that, I do have some CDs um, out the back. I've got, my, I've got four albums. Um, Julia Grace, Beautiful Survivor. I've got It As Well, a collection of, of um, hymns. That first song I did was on there. And then my latest album, Girl On The Kitchen Floor. I was the grateful recipient of a New Zealand Music Award for one of those and also been a finalist for three. And um, Helen Clark presented me with my award. She said, congratulations. Um, which was exciting and frightening at the same time. So <laughs> anyway, so those are available and definitely a part of my story. So if I could just, um, I have a PowerPoint. I know. Because you think there's not like a you know, hierarchy in church, there is. Uh, musicians come way down there, speakers are way up. So I have a PowerPoint now, so I'm made a little lower than the angels at this point. Um, <laughs> I've got a pulpit and a PowerPoint. All right, some statistics to do with mental wellness that I have discovered in the last little while have been quite alarming. One in two New Zealanders will meet the criteria for a mental health diagnosis in their lifetime. Doesn't mean they will be diagnosed, but they, they could be. At some time in their life, they will meet the criteria for some kind of mental wellness issue. It could be a mild issue, could be a, a major issue, but actually these are what the stats are telling us. 49% of churches rarely or never mention mental health. That's like, that's half of them are saying, well, this doesn't even matter. This doesn't even count. And yet, I hate to break it to you, but 23% of pastors have personally dealt with mental wellness issues. So we are saying that people are dealing with it themselves, but we're not yet honest enough to talk about it in our churches. And so... Michael and I are passionate about this topic. I'm passionate about it because I see that how much it, it you know, influences us, but also because I have walked through this journey myself. And so we use a model um, called Tefari Tapafa. It's a Mason Jury model. Who's familiar with this model? This is an amazing health model that we use in New Zealand. The best thing about this is when I went into more community and so out of the church, what it says is that our lives are made up of more than one faction, more than one part, more than one facet. There are four parts to us. I mean, we've, it's just a model, but, you know, we're saying four parts. We have our physical wall. We have our mental and emotional wall. We have our social and relational wall. And we have taha wairua, our spiritual wall. I thought when I went into schools and when I went into community, I'd have to take the faith bit and kind of just tuck it in there under something else. And then I found this model and I thought, no. We have to talk about our spiritual wall. I love that. Isn't that cool? Yeah, we have permission. We are obligated to talk about it, which is fantastic. Now, when we're in church, I think we would understand that <clears throat> we've put a lot of emphasis excuse me, on the front wall, on taha wairua. We've put a lot of emphasis on our spiritual wall. You're in church today, so you're probably pretty spiritual. Much like me. No, no, I'm kidding. But, you know, or whatever. But, you know, you obviously prioritize that there. And I think when it comes to our health in church, we're like, come in, build your spiritual wall. Come in, 
build your spiritual wall. Come in, build your spiritual wall. One wall doesn't make a house. One wall makes a wall. <laughs> you know, there's nowhere to put the roof. There's no structure around you. And the reality is that I was taught, and I was brought up in this thing that, as a Christian, you know, my body doesn't count. It's worth less than nothing. You know, it's all about the spirit man, and it's all about the spirit. If we were all about the spirit, we would just be floating spirits. We'd just be disembodied things floating around. We're not. I have a body. You have a body. Everybody has a body. That's a good song there. Everybody has a body. I don't know. I'll make something up. <laughs> you have emotions. You have a brain. You have a mind. You have all these things, and, and you're made in the image of God. God didn't accidentally go, oh, I made this wonderful spirit. Whoops. Popped a body around it. He knew what he was doing. So when it comes to our well-being, I think it's so important that we understand that there is more than just the spiritual side. Should you pray? Of course. Is the spiritual wall important? Of course. Otherwise, how are we going to get in and out? <laughs> you know. But I want to encourage you this morning, there's more to it than just the spiritual thing. Half of evangelical American Christians believe that big mental health issues can be solved by prayer and Bible reading alone. And I have deep concern about that because I believe that prayer and Bible reading are one amazing tool. But guess what? We've got more tools in the toolbox. Yay for that. Now, you know, sometimes I feel like in church we pray for stuff that we could actually do ourselves. You know? Oh, Lord, make me fit. Oh, if only there was a way that I could get fit. Could you create a way? Lord, I just, I just break the spirit of unfitness off me. I declare fitness. I speak fitness now in the spirit. I break it and bind it and loosen and cover all my denominational bases. Or I could go for a walk. You know, are we praying for good health in the KFC drive through line? Are we filling our bodies with sugar and wondering why we're jittery and tired? You know, oh, there's so much we can do to help ourselves. There's a verse that's not in the Bible that says God helps those who help themselves, although it might be in Numbers somewhere. <laughs> if, you don't know, if you don't know, just say it's in Numbers because no one's ever read it. Um, <laughs> so it's probably, no, it's not even true. But there's an element of truth to it because God helps everybody, but doesn't he give us a brain to use as well? So you know what? All right, so my overwhelming sort of overall thing is, is this. Mental wellness issues are reasonable. They make a lot of sense. Our body and our brain don't always function the way, you know, we're dealing with them. They're universal. We're all on the spectrum, and they are manageable. There are many tools on the toolbox. Now, what do I mean by we're all on the spectrum? Because some people are like, well, I don't have any mental health issues. You're smiling. That's a mental wellness issue. It's quite a good one, but, you know... If you're breathing, you've got a mental wellness issue. If your brain is active in any way, you are somewhere on the spectrum of mental well-being. Now, you might be over here thinking, oh, I'm just a bit stressed. You might be feeling a bit burnt out. You might be feeling some, you might get some major episodes of mental distress. But it doesn't mean that those people are good and those people are bad or whatever. We're all on the spectrum. And you know what? Life has a way of changing. I remember years ago, I was... Um, I'm fairly outspoken, <laughs> as you may have noticed. And um, I was 
put onto a, a, a mini pill medication, a contraceptive pill, and I get migraines, and I haven't had them for years, but I used to get them, and so there's a contraindication. You've got to be careful what you take with medication. And I started using this pill, and it made me real mellow. I was just like real chilled out. I was like, nice. And I thought, oh gosh, I'm really getting through on this Christian thing. I'm just becoming so peaceful. The fruit of the Spirit just flowing out of me. Love, joy, peace. I am nailing this. Thank you, Lord. I got a migraine, and they were like, okay, we need to take you off that pill and try something else. A week later, I went into a staff meeting, and someone said something, and I was like, oh, whatever. And I made some stroppy comments, and I was like, oh, she's back. <laughs> I thought I was a really good Christian, but it was just a drug. My point is, our brain chemistry actually affects how we feel. Tiredness affects, who's got little kids? You know, when they're tired, they're not themselves. Who's ever heard of hangry? Hangry is a combination of hungry and angry. It's when you're so hungry, you start to get like, the beast, and you know, a bit like that. Sometimes we need to feed ourselves, and then we need to go, okay, now you can, now we'll talk. Does he get hangry? No, oh, he's so, he's so spiritual. Look, you're making me look bad. <laughs> you can cheer them later. No, I'm not going to ask you. A, yeah. Now, depending on where you are on the spectrum, depends on whether you can kind of self-care your way out of your mental wellness issues or not. Okay. Now, if you came to me and said, "Look, I've got a bit of a headache," what would we do um, if someone said they had a headache? Like practically speaking, for them, so what could we do for someone with a headache? Panadol, take a Panadol, yep, what else? Fresh air, drink some water, rest, maybe um, get out of the bright lights, those sort of things. Self-care will probably make your headache go away. It's pretty, it'll take a little bit of time, but you know, God has, has created our bodies that they do regenerate, which is cool. If you came to me and said, look, I've got a, a brain tumour, I'm not going to be like, oh, okay, have a drink of water. It's not enough. It doesn't mean that the water and the rest and the Panadol and that are useless. It just means they are not strong enough for what we're dealing with. If you're dealing with mild feelings of kind of a bit down, if you're feeling a bit of a day that's a bit wah-wah, you're starting to feel a bit beige on the inside, it's quite possible you'll be able to self-care your way back along the spectrum into feeling a bit more normal. And that is actually a very powerful place to be. You'll go through the tools in the toolbox and go, you know what, I'm going to take that fresh air. I'm going to take that, that walk. I'm going to take that rest. And my emotions, that burnt out feeling might just subside. But if you're dealing with depression and it's getting big, if you're dealing with anxiety, I urge you to seek professional help. Okay, I'm not going to take the person with the brain tumour and go, oh, I'll just give you some advice and send you on your way. I'm like, go to the doctor. Go to the people who can help you, counsellors, medical professionals, and all those things. So um, therapy, just absolutely brilliant in these case. One of the tools in the toolbox is gratitude. I just love this one, all right? You know, some of us are better at expressing gratitude than others because we have different personalities, right? I had an uncle called Uncle Stan. Uncle Stanley. Ah, he's from England, so I'm doing a British accent. Uncle Stanley. If anyone could see the glass half empty, it was Uncle Stanley. It was a gift. 
with like a, you know, the gifts of the Spirit, you know, love, joy, peace, patience, and negativity. He had that one. I don't know if that's in the list somewhere in numbers. But anyway, <laughs> Uncle Stanley, he could single-handedly ruin anything. It was quite amazing. When they, they lived in England with Auntie Dorothy, and, and <laughs> so Uncle Stanley and Auntie Dorothy, he used to just terrorize that poor woman. Um, and when they, they flew across to New Zealand, because they decided they wanted to come and live in New Zealand, so what they did was they flew across and they sent their luggage across by boat. So that took a bit longer, so they flew across. He told Auntie Dorothy, who had some anxiety issues already, he said to her, the only thing holding this plane in the air is one little pin. Now, she sort of, she got very panicky, but he managed to get her on the plane. But just to keep her on her toes, every now and then during the flight, he would just nudge her and say, one little pin. <laughs> and she, she was fun to, Stanley, Stanley, stop it, you know. And so he would rock her up. Anyway, they got to New Zealand, and um, they got her and, oh, we don't like it. It's cold. It's too cold. We're going back. So they flew back to England, but of course their stuff was still, you know, in, in the boat. So they get back to England, they get back to England, and they're like, oh, it's even colder here, we're going to come back. So they kind of did a bit of like this, toing and froing. So eventually they ended up in New Zealand rather reluctantly. One little pin did not drop out of the plane, and Auntie Dorothy survived. Anyway, so I went around to their house one day, and they said, come on in, come on in, we want to show you some wonderful things, wonderful things. We've got new stuff in the house. I was like, wow. <laughs> now, that's an act of God because they, they were quite stingy. They didn't like to spend money. His brother's funeral, my grandfather, he hired a suit, but he didn't want to pay for the full day. <laughs> so he just hired it for half a day and had to leave halfway through. <laughs> I'm not kidding. The best part was that he'd accidentally sat in a cream sponge halfway, so we had like this big pit of cream. <laughs> And I wasn't going to be the one to tell him. Anyway, so they got here, and he's like, come in, come in and show us your stuff. And I was like, wow, okay, this is cool. So he goes, come in, we've got a new carpet. We've got a new carpet. We've got a new couch. We've got a new bench. Very excited. Because he said, come and look at the carpet. And I looked at the carpet, and I thought, this is strange. Because the carpet did look new. But to keep the carpet in nice condition, what they've done is they've got one of those plastic, um, like, matting things that you put along. And, you know, like on the top it's smooth and on the bottom it's got spikes that stick out of it that, like, just about give you the walking on the, oh, I don't know, um, nails or something. And so what they'd done was they'd cut them out in circles and they'd put them <laughs> out to the kitchen, over to the couch, out to, and so you just walked in and it was like, what the heck? So you sort of had to come and it was like, you know, hello. Just being careful to stand on the thing. It's a beautiful new carpet covered in this absolute rubbish stuff. And it wasn't new, it was horrible. I was like, oh, great. And he says, come and sit on the couch. So we sat down on the couch, but unfortunately, the couch had a plastic cover on it. <laughs> now, you didn't want to take the plastic cover off, of course, because then someone might wreck it. So you keep the plastic cover on. So you sit down, and then about five minutes later, you find that you've sort of now become fused to the thing, and sort of as he said, it was like, <laughs> standing up and leaving a sort of a pool of sweat and a couple of layers of skin behind you. So I was like, well, this is not great. And I thought, well, maybe the bench top will be, you know, what we're after. So he goes, come into the kitchen. I've got Dorothy a new bench. She better be grateful, you know, my new bench. So I was like, came and I walked in and I was like, oh, the bench was made of chipboard. 
like particle board, you know, the cheapest type of yucky sort of wood. You can see it was a bench like that and there was a hole and I was like, far out you guys have been had, you know. <laughs> and he goes, oh, no, 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 come here. He lifts it up and underneath, beautiful, <laughs> beautiful formica bench top. Oh, and we all went, oh, and ah, and lovely. And then he put it down because she wasn't allowed to use it. Of course, she might wreck it. So some people aren't good at this. Some people aren't good at finding gratitude. They just find the problem with everything. You know people like that? You're like, oh, you look lovely. Oh, my roots need doing. <laughs> you're like, oh, now that you mention it. You know, they just deflect positivity. And yet gratitude is such a powerful tool. Now, I've got a, a scripture here of Psalm 23. I, I look through different scriptures to do a thankfulness and gratefulness and there's many instructions, but in fact, this one is a demonstration. So this is actually David giving his gratitude, and I love this. So let's, why don't we just read this together? I've picked the, um, the old-fashioned one because I know we know it probably better, so we'll just read it. It says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I love this. One of the things I love about it, he's not just giving thanks for the good stuff. Gratitude is not just pretending. It's not just pretending. It's not just putting a lid on it, putting a little label on it, going, oh, it's okay, I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm fine. Gratitude is acknowledging the pain and being grateful anyway. Can I say that again? Gratitude is acknowledging the pain and being grateful anyway. Just sitting with it for a moment. Just pretending everything's nice and rosy and happy and like, oh, it's so lovely. It's not going to help anybody because what it is is it's fake. It's, it's, like, it's like papering over the cracks in the hope that nobody will see. You know? Who's ever, <laughs> ever gone into a house or an open home and you're like, I can see that you've just painted over stuff. You've painted over deep-seated issues, and you're just pretending it's all, I'm fine, I'm fine. Don't look too closely, I'm fine. It's not just pretending. In actual fact, it is being far more honest. David was not Pollyanna. Everything's fine. What he was was he said, you know, this is hard. He said, yay, <laughs> though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. <laughs> That's my interpretation. Um, you know, it's not yay. It's not fun. But he says, I still am going to find something to be grateful for in those circumstances, which is just amazing to me. He acknowledges the pain. You know, well, a lot of people come to me and they say, you know, oh, this is a classic uh, Kiwi thing, and a particularly woman thing to do. They're like, oh, look, I've gone through this, or something difficult's happening, I'm dealing with anxiety, I'm dealing with depression. And then they, the next statement, oh, but I'll be fine. Oh, but God's good. Oh, but, no, it's okay. You know, it's almost like they open the door to their heart, and then they shut it again. And I love to say to people, hang on, 
let's just stop for a moment and acknowledge how difficult that is. Let's just sit with that for a moment and go, you know what, that's, that's not fun. That's hard. Poor thing. If you don't want to say, you just make sympathetic noises. <laughs> you do it with kids, you know, you do that thing. You get them together and they're like, my baby. After a while, they realize you're not going to do anymore. Have you heard of the boring cuddle? The boring, this is great, parents. Boring cuddle. You know when you're walking out with kids, you're like, I don't want to go any further. You're like, okay, you pick them up. And they're like, this is so boring. They're like, tell me when you're ready to go. Then you put them down. Great. Boring cuddle, sympathetic noises. Don't do that to your spouse, please. We'll be back next week with counselling. Anyway, so it's not just pretending. Now, I, I like to not sugarcoat things. <laughs> you know how Facebook and social media, it's all, pretend, all full of like, oh, it's, everything's just great and flowers and everyone looks great and they've got their, you know, their filters on. I like to bring a bit of reality to Facebook. I do um, what I call real quotes. Um, this is my latest one. As I listened, he said to the others, follow him through the city and kill without showing pity or compassion. <laughs> Have a nice day. <laughs> It just messes with our heads. You know, the Lord shall smite thee. Good luck. <laughs> I'm not really. But what I'm saying is sugarcoating stuff and pretending it's all nicey-nicey, that's not what gratitude's about. Okay, the second thing it's not just is an attitude. It's not just an attitude. Have you heard of the saying, I think, therefore I am? There's a lot of teaching around at the moment about thoughts and toxic thoughts. And, you know, if you could just grab your thoughts and change them, you would change your whole life. The problem is, is by the time the thought has come to your brain, it has already filtered through about 10,000 other brain activities. By the time you think it, it's already gone through your DNA, your personality, your filters, your, um, you know, your background, your everything like that. So just saying, I'm just going to think positive, it's kind of too late. Because by the time you're thinking positive, You've already got ingrained habits. What we need to do is gratitude needs to come in a little earlier, and we need to make it a practice. We need to make it a habit. Now, I love this. It's a practice, not a perfect. All right? It's a practice, not a perfect. It's hard. It's challenging. It's gritty being able to say, oh, I'm grateful for something. Some things I am not that grateful for. When I was going through a really, really difficult time, I was early in the stages of having my, uh, my husband having left me. I was talking to a friend of mine who's a psychologist, and he's like, I was like, you know, poor me, poor me. And he goes, I want you to start a gratitude diary. And I was like, oh, shoot me now. Like, that is just the worst advice ever. You know, can't you see what I'm going through? Gratitude diary. Now, I'm a bit passive-aggressive. So I tend to do stuff but not want to. So I go along with it because I was sort of brought up in a cult, so I tend to sort of do as I'm told with deep resentment inside me. I was like, all right. So I went out and I bought the smallest diary I could find. (laughs) The tiniest little thing. I was like, there you go, there's your gratitude diary. (laughs) I decided I put it in the bathroom because, you know, I was in there regularly and I thought, oh, pencil with it. Well, I, need, I probably need something to write with because otherwise I'll, I'll find the excuses. So I sort of put it down there with like just um, 
the first time I opened it up and I was like, God, what am I grateful for? And I'm like, I'm grateful I'm alive. Wah, wah. You know, I turned the page the next day. Yeah, grateful for my teeth. I turned the page the next day. I'm grateful they have a roof over my head. It's not the roof I used to have. It's not the dream home. It's not all those wonderful things, but it is a roof. As I worked my way through that gratitude diary, my habits began to change. It was a practice, not a perfect. Some days I'd repeat myself because I couldn't think of anything else. Some days I'd write smart remarks. But I worked my way all the way to the back of that diary and I turned it over and started from the back and worked my way back to the front. And it has become a treasure possession of mine because it reminded me that even when it's hard, counting our blessings changes the way we see the world. Now, how does this work? Just really quickly, the science behind it. We come into church and we're like, yep, that's cool, that's in the Bible, but does it really work? The science behind it is actually really important. A guy called Robert Emmons did a whole, um, a, a big series of research on this, and he did one called Counting Blessings Versus Burdens. He got two groups and he said, right, you guys, I want you every week to write me a gratitude list and you guys, every week, I want you to write me an irritant list. So you're going to write all the things you're not happy with. You're not allowed to write on the irritant list. You have to go over there. But anyway, only on the gratitude. Um, and, and you've got to be on the gratitude list. And at the end of that, they found overwhelming response to the change in the general well-being of the people in the gratitude side. It was an amazing research, and there's been many of these done. Gratitude focus exhibited increased well-being. Now, how does it work? Let's just quickly talk about the brain. <laughs> I couldn't resist. So, no, our brain, our brain here, yeah. How does it work? Being grateful has two switches in our brain. It actually switches on a couple of things. The first thing it switches on is called the hypothalamus, and it's our stress regulator. It's the thing that helps us to control and maintain our stress. So being grateful for something flicks a switch, that helps that stress regulator to function well. Isn't that good? Bonus? The other thing that it switches on is um, called the nucleus accumbens. It's our reward center, and it sends out this chemical called dopamine. And it sends it through our body, and it's like, we get a little hit of dopamine, and that's nice. It feels good. It's the feel-good chemical. It's amazing. The other ways of getting a hit of dopamine is getting a windfall of money or snorting cocaine. So gratitude means that you get the hit of dopamine without any physical or, you know, drug side effects, and you won't have any of your family showing up at the door asking for money. So win-win. It's amazing how, you know, we go like, hang on a minute, this stuff works. It actually works. First Thessalonians 5.18 says, In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. I like this because it says in everything, not for everything. We don't have to be grateful for everything, but in the middle of everything, we can still give thanks. There are many things in your life that you might think, I'm not thankful for that at all. That's not really my cup of tea. I'm not going to say thank you for that. <laughs> the lights are flashing. Exciting, isn't it? It's like a party. Get them up, get them up, get them up. Always wanted to be a DJ. I think I missed the boat. Anyway, um, yeah, in everything, you are not being required to pretend. 
You are not being required to just change the way you think automatically. What you're being asked to do, one of the tools in the toolbox, is in the middle of anything, can you find something small? Can you find a diamond? Can you find something? Can you pick up that rock and go, there's something in here for me? So how do we do this? How do we develop a gratitude practice? And I've just got a couple of things as I finish off this morning. One of them is to go inward. Now, we can do this alone. This is cool. We can practice gratitude anywhere, anytime. Make it a daily thing where we go inward. Make some time and some space in your day to consider, what am I grateful for? When you've considered that, like imagine it and focus on that for a moment. So it's not just kind of like, oh, yeah, yeah, I'm thankful for, you know, broccoli and free trade or, you know, whatever, democracy. But, you know, actually stop and think, what does democracy mean? for me? What would it be like if I lived in a world where there wasn't any? What would it be like if I didn't have that to be grateful for? And what that does is just that time and space will allow us to see a little deeper into the circumstance. What would my life be like without that person? You think of um, like a, a friend. I'm grateful for them. What about them am I grateful for? Imagine how awful it would be if they were gone. Oh, that loss I would feel. Because what it will do is inspire us to do the next thing, which is to do outward gratitude. Expressing gratitude to yourself and others. There's something about putting our faith into action. Faith without works is dead. So it's faith, works. Faith, works. Faith, works. The way we believe, what we do. The way we think, how we act. As we go through these things, expressing gratitude to others. I'm just going to get Michael to bring up something that I want to use just to finish off today. I've got some little bows here. And um, I went to a $2 shop, 18 bows. Warehouse, $3 for one bow. Don't go there. So should be sponsored by the $2 shop. But I wanted to look at this and actually go, you know, what am I grateful for? What am I grateful for here? I'm really grateful that I get to do something that I absolutely love and other people find it helpful in their world. I'm grateful for the time my parents spent in taking me to music lessons so that I could now do something that gives me so much joy. I'm grateful for that. I'm really grateful that in our New Zealand society that as a woman I'm seen as equal that what I bring and share is seen as egalitarian and equal within those things, that I have the opportunity to share my story without repression, without being shot down in flames. I'm really grateful that we get to go to church without being persecuted. Also grateful for the drummer, so there you go. <laughs> Poor drummers, they get a tough time, don't they? You just put them in a cage. <laughs> it's like an animal, you know, so sorry about that. But, you know, I'm really grateful that we get to come in here on Sunday morning and we're not going to be likely to be shot in church or, you know, persecuted or arrested. Imagine what our life would be like if that wasn't how we lived. Yeah. All right. I'm really grateful for this man.
There you go. Yay. I never knew how somebody could enter my world and function in a way where he could handle the stuff that I do and all the blah, blah, blah that I make. Not only handle it, but actually support it so patiently and lovingly. I'm so grateful to you, babe, for your servant heart and because you're hot, but, you know, that's just... Thanks, babe. That's <laughs> just a bonus. Um, I'm incredibly grateful for that, and I'm grateful to God for allowing, because I can't stick one on him, so I'm going to stick it on Can I do him. one now, too? Yeah, please, yeah, please. yeah. Have we got... Oh, I'll stick one on you. Oh, thanks. But I'll put it in front. Oh, you want it on No, no, stop it. Yes, I'm grateful for you, babe. Um, I'm grateful for the passion that you have um, for um, giving out from what you have. Um, it's awesome to see the way that you can change people's lives by just showing an action, whether it's playing the guitar, whether it's speaking out. Um, and you have such a love, um, which I, it's so important to me. Um, we've talked about this a few times about what love means to me. Um, and to you, and uh, it's interesting to see how we can explain it in a different way. So I'm very grateful for that. Yeah, thanks, babe. Have you got anyone else you want to? I do. I do. Oh. Come on, John. Oh, okay, cool. Right. I'm going to start with you, John. Yeah. I'm going to put it there. <laughs> I am so grateful for you. Um, you have been a real blessing in my life, and part of um, coming to this church was that it was actually in. Uh, it was close enough for me to walk. At the time, I was going through uh, burnout and depression, and I had to change churches, and you were the closest one I could see that I could walk to. <laughs> and I lost 15 kgs from that. <laughs> Fringe benefit. Uh, yes. But the most important for, thing for me is that you turned up at my doorstep when things were not going right, and you were there to listen to me during those times. And that is so important. And I love the way that you know everyone here by name. Um, you and Sandra have this gift of being able to just accept people as family, and that's so important. That's awesome. Sandra, I got into you. There we go. I'm so grateful as a, as a woman leader in New Zealand that you have set such a passionate and high example. I love the way you follow your heart you follow God, but you are you. I love your um, authenticity and the fact that you're still being yourself in a really beautiful, creative way while still caring for this amazing community. So thank you. I really appreciate that. Yeah. Right, and we have some special people here today. Uh. We have my mum and dad. Yeah. <laughs> there are a lot of things that I could be ungrateful for. And <laughs> <laughs> everything give thanks, babe. And everything. All oh, right. Is that a number somewhere? Yeah, I think so. Really? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Um, Dad, I am so grateful for bringing us brats up. <laughs> My mum and dad were missionaries in the Philippines for 13 years. And, um, and I am so grateful for um, understanding what it is to, to see you guys live by faith. Um, I didn't understand that until a few years ago when, you know, Julie and I now are having to step out in faith financially to do what we do. Um, but to understand the pressures that it put on you while you were abroad 
and the blessings that you were for other people that weren't part of, you know, where you're from. To step out and do that was just so amazing. Yeah, thank you. And Mama Sue, thank you for embracing me into your family, allowing me to be part of this wonderful group and making you feel so at home. Thank you. Uh, I think so. I've got, go. I've got one more. Oh, okay. can, I, can I have that Just one? You can have that okay. one. Auntie Jenny. Oh, yeah. There's yeah. one for you. Now, Auntie Jenny is an adopted auntie, um, but she's been a real blessing to me. Because um, I have moved to Auckland, my, my kids are down here. And when you leave everything sort of behind, you know, no house, she's provided a house for Julie and I to come and stay at every time we come down. And that takes a lot of stress off you know, thinking about how much it's going to cost, where I'm going to go, and that sort of thing. So I really, really appreciate you and Tony for everything that you have. Yeah. Awesome. Thanks, babe. <laughs> so go to the $2 shop, get yourself one of those. Stick it around the house. Because it made me think, you know, stick it on the light switch. Because I'm grateful, A, that we have power, but B, that someone is paying for this. Probably me, but, you know, or... Uh, but, you know, actually sticking them around your, your family, sticking them, get your kids to run around and say, what am I grateful for? You notice that we can't stick them on God, um, but we are very grateful to God, and yet God displays his love through people. So I'd encourage you not to just keep it as like a cerebral thing, but actually practice your gratitude in a really practical way. One of my ways of saying thank you to God is by songwriting, um, and so I'm just going to wrap up now, but... I, I accidentally wrote a song that when they put my name on it next to an order of service, it says, Julia Grace dash beautiful one. <laughs> I know. Um, very grateful for that. So I, I didn't do it on purpose, but it's done wonders for my self-esteem over the years. So my next single is going to be called What a Hottie. <laughs> Followed by She Doesn't Look a Day Over 25. <laughs> no. So my return, my response to God as I come to him and say thank you, is just to acknowledge his goodness. What can I bring as a gift from my heart? You bridge the chasm that held us apart, and I will forever be grateful for all that you've done. Words seem so fragile compared to your love, yet they're infused with the fire from above. So let my song be sweet melody here to your heart. You take my song, you turn it to light. You read my heart, you open my sight. I will be yours. Evermore in you is everything I could hope for. How good I want now for anything more. You have brought sweetness and filled up the depths of my soul. You take my song, you turn it to light. You read my heart and you open my sight. Beautiful one you are, I adore. 
Well, what a great morning, eh? Just tremendous. Can I have the team come up? Um, we weren't going to do a song, but I think it'd be great to sing that song to here again about love. Gosh, it's very true, isn't it? The, um, the science behind what the Bible has always said to us about gratitude really does kick in. It really kicks in when it's personal. You just go, oh, that's nice. That feels really good. That's lovely. And you know, that's the life we're called to live, to be sharing it around as much as we possibly can, that it matters more than we think it does, it affects us and affects everybody. And, you know, just being in Christchurch, eight years on from the earthquakes, all of us are so significantly affected in our emotions and in our ability to be able to cope and things. So what Julie has shared with us today is absolutely fantastic. We're going to um, just sing this song because it's a great way to finish, I think, in, in focusing on this, the biggest picture of all, which is the word love, and that that's what we're to be giving out. But as part of um, having Julia here today, I'd love us to be able to take up a love offering for her, for her ministry, so that she can do this more and more around the country. So if those who are prepared to, would you uh, like to pass the offering baskets across? If you have some cash, you can put it in if you wish to. If you want to use our Ethicos facilities um, at the cafe, so long as you just say this is a donation for Julia, you can donate any amount that you wish to there. Uh, they will write on the back of the um, receipt and keep a copy of that so that uh, we, we can just reimburse what um, uh, to her what you've actually given. But can we just thank Julia one more time and Michael. They're a couple together now, great family. Really, really, really helpful stuff. But you know, it's actually, if you're on that journey towards is God real, the more science finds out about this world, and the more research they've done, it proves just what God has already always done. He made us, and He made everything so it interconnects. And I want to say to you, God is real. What's happened in Julia's life, um, seeing her life rebuilt through some of the, the, the trauma of divorce and uh, other things, can be true in terms of what God can do in rebuilding your life for the issues and things that you've gone through as well. So I just encourage you to um, to take it take it for real, but it's, it's kind of hard to explain exactly how, 
But the very one you're looking for is Jesus Christ. We want peace in our lives. We want good relationships. We want to, we want to see purpose and meaning for us. But it's actually a person. For you to actually really discover him and there's a revelation of who he is over your life, many of these things will just begin to happen on the inside because something has been transformed on the inside of you. It's the story of the Bible. It's called being born again. It's, it's, it's getting a, a second start when, when we really don't deserve it. But God is real and he loves you. So let's sing about that love. If you would like prayer for anything Julia has been speaking about today or, or even just what I've been speaking about right now, um, after the service is over, there'll be a few of us just waiting down the front here. We'd love to pray um, for that fourth wall, the one that was on the front of the of the foyer, uh, of the entry into a full and complete life, which is the spiritual side. We'd love to pray for God's blessing over your life. Let's stand. Has those baskets been able to go across?